Good morning. They thought they could hide my podium. I found it. If you want to turn to John 8, that's where we're going to be for the majority of this lesson. John chapter 8. I've said it no telling how many times since I've been here. I'm going to say it again. There is a big difference between saying that you are a Christian and actually being a Christian. There's a big difference in saying that you believe in Jesus and actually believing in Jesus. And that's not just my own sort of idea. That comes up over and over again in the Gospels. If you read through the Gospels, you'll just be amazed by how often Jesus is followed by just hordes of people, crowds all over the place, all wanting to hear what he has to say, hanging on every word, wanting to see the signs. There are so many crowds that he can't even get on a boat and go across the sea without crowds following him around to see what he's doing. He's just all the time followed by people to the point that uh, when the woman who touches the hem of his garment, when she touches him and he says, who touched me? The disciples look around and like, Jesus, there's no telling how many people just touched you right then. All the time, Jesus is just surrounded by these crowds. And yet, when you get to the end of the gospel story, you see people dropping off because Jesus' words are too hard or too disgusting or too confusing, and they don't want to hear it. Or you see that in the end, Jesus is left with only a few disciples as we come towards his crucifixion, and even they depart from him for a time. And you ask the question, how can we go from just all of these people that seem to believe and seem to understand who he is? How can we go from all these people that care about Jesus to almost no one in such a seemingly short amount of time? How does that happen? And I think that that question in part is sort of answered by John 8. Because in John 8, Jesus is teaching in the temple. And we'll see at the start of our story today, in verse 30, it says, As he's teaching these things, many believed in him. So there are many in the temple that believe in him. And yet, by the time we get to the end of our story, in verse 59... They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And so in these just 20 verses, real short time, we're going to see people go from claiming to believe in Jesus. The gospel saying they believe in Jesus to them wanting to kill him. So how does that happen? How can we know, are we the people who say we believe in Jesus? Are we people who say we're Christians? Or are we those who actually 
follow him. And that's what we're going to look at in John 8. As we come here to the passage we're going to read today, I just want to catch us up briefly where we're at. Like I said, Jesus is teaching at the temple and he has just finished talking about how he is the light of the world sent from the Father and how he will have to be lifted up and killed for people to believe who he is. And this whole time he's teaching these things in the temple, the Pharisees are questioning him. They're arguing with him. They're making fun of him. They're saying, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. This guy's not really from God at all. This guy's a liar. But, like it says, many who were there believed in him. They believed in his teachings. And so as we come into our passage today, Jesus turns away from talking to the Pharisees and he starts talking directly to those who believe in him. He starts talking directly to those who the gospel say trust him. And over the course of this, there's going to be sort of three main spats they have. And you're going to see them work themselves further and further away from Jesus to the point where they are ready to kill him. And we're going to say, see, Jesus is going to talk about who he is. He's going to talk about what true discipleship really is. And he's going to talk about what these people are missing to make them true disciples. So if you're with me in John 8, we're going to start by reading verses 30 through 38. John 8, 30 through 38. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So... If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And we'll just stop right there for now. So Jesus turns away from talking to the Pharisees, away from talking to the rest of the temple. And he's talking right now specifically to those who John says have begun to believe in him. And Jesus says, if you are really going to be my disciples, he starts directly by challenging them. If you're serious about following me, here's what you're going to do. You're going to believe and abide in my word. You're going to believe the words that I give to you. 
to have that word in you, to have it in your heart, to abide in it. And Jesus says that when you do that, when you truly believe in the word I'm giving you, you will be free. And the crowd, they don't get that. These people who believe, they're confused by that. They say, what do you mean we're going to be free? We're already free. We're children of Abraham. They're drawing on their physical lineage as Jews. We've never been enslaved to anyone, which that alone, I mean, read Exodus, read Judges, read any of the other books. But anyway, they make this point. We're children of Abraham. We have never been slaves before. Because they think that Jesus is talking about some sort of physical lineage or physical nation of God's people. And Jesus makes it clear you've missed the point. Because practicing sin is slavery to sin. It is subjection to the devil. And what Jesus directly accuses these so-called believers in, he says, you've got two choices. You can take the words I'm giving you and abide in them. They can become part of who you are, and that's freedom. Or you can reject my words. You can be subject to the devil, and you are in slavery. I don't care what your physical background is. I know you're children of Abraham, physically speaking. That doesn't matter. What matters is, are you hearing the words of God the Father? Because that's what Jesus says, I'm giving you the words of God the Father and you're rejecting them and you're choosing to reject them in favor of the words from your Father. And hold on to that thought because Jesus is going to come back to that in just a second. But so this really, the first sort of break that Jesus gives between what the true disciples and what the false disciples are, are this. Jesus says that there will be people who believe in the word of God. They will believe in Jesus. They will believe in what he was about and who he was. Those people are free. Those people are freed by the son who is Jesus. And there will be those who, even if they say they believe, even if the gospel of John says they believe, they still reject the words of Jesus at the end of the day. They don't abide in it. They don't, it doesn't become who they are and they choose to practice sin. And those people are not freed by the son. Those people are subject to slavery, slavery to sin. So that's the first sort of break. The second argument that Jesus has with these believers is still centered again on Abraham. It's centered again on who the true father of these disciples are. Read with me again if you're there. We'll pick back up in verse 38 where we left off and we'll go down through verse 47. John 8, 38 through 47. Jesus said, if I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. 
But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So this is when Jesus really, really starts hammering the point home. And you see that repeatedly in the Gospels. Jesus has crowds that follow him. And everything looks like it's going really well from man's perspective. These people, the Gospel says they believe. We would call them the good guys. They're... If they believe in Jesus, you could even say they're Christians, but they don't really get it. And so Jesus gives them one of these hard teachings. Jesus is very harsh on them. He says, if you reject my word, you are the children of Satan. And I feel like if I was sitting there and if I was one of the 12, the disciples that ran around with Jesus, I would want to say, hey, We finally have some people on our side here. Let's calm it down a little bit. But Jesus says, no, there's no in-between. There's no in-between. You can't halfway be a child of God and halfway be a child of Satan. That's not how it works. Either you do the works that Abraham did or you don't. Think about the works that Abraham did. I was going to, at one point, I was going to read the passage that Brother Richard read for us today, but he read it so well, I don't think we need to read it twice. But think about the works that Abraham did. Abraham had faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And we talk about the obedient faith of Abraham, and for good reason. God called Abraham to leave his home, his hometown, just about everyone he had ever known, everything that was life to him, he was called to leave it all. And to go to some place he had never heard of, and he trusted God enough to do it. Abraham was called by God to even be willing to sacrifice his only covenant son And he was willing to do it because that's the amount of trust he had in God. An amazing amount of faith that I can't even fully comprehend. And that was what the works of Abraham are. Jesus is again calling, look past 
your physical lineage. He already said, I know you're children of Abraham. I know you are physically from the line of Abraham. I already know that. But what these people are saying is because we're children of Abraham, we're part of God's people. Haven't you read the Bible, Jesus? God's people are Israel. We're Israelites. Therefore, we're God's people. You are completely off base. And Jesus says, you haven't read close enough. God's covenant people were never decided just based off of physical lineage. God's covenant was always with those who believed and followed him. And so if you really want to be children of Abraham, or even as they very boldly claim to be children of God himself, he says you got to look past this earth. And what you need to look towards is Do I have the sort of obedient faith that Abraham had? Abraham, like I said, was willing to give up everything. Abraham was willing to give up everything. And here Jesus says, these false disciples aren't even willing to give up their physical lineage. They're not willing to give up their special place that they think that they have with God. And Jesus says, if that's where your faith is at, you don't truly understand what it means to be a disciple. So of course you're going to reject my word. Of course you're going to reject the truth from God because the truth from God is inconvenient sometimes. The truth from God is hard. And so they don't want to give up who they are in the covenant people of God. And Jesus says, because of that, you're rejecting God's teaching and you're rejecting it in favor of a lie given to you from Satan himself. You are rejecting the truth of God and exchanging it for being children of Satan because you believe his lies and you act the way that he acts. Jesus is completely taking them to task. Jesus says, true discipleship, yes, it starts with that belief. But you show that belief that you have. You show that faith you have, not by saying that you're a Christian, but by actually living a faithful life, no matter what you have to leave behind. Because that's what Abraham did. So you want to be a child of Abraham? You want to be a member of God's people? Jesus says, here's what you do. Believe in me, have my word in your heart, let it change who you are, and then show that by being willing to do whatever God calls you to do. Because when you do that, you are children of God the Father. And when you choose not to do that, when you reject God's truth, you become children of Satan. If you want to finish the discussion up with me, it is, uh, we're going to start back in verse 48, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. 
There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. And if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you are. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day and he saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to Abraham, you're not 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So here, those who are seeking to justify themselves, they are fraying further and further from Jesus. They are not asking legitimate questions anymore. They're not seeking to understand Jesus better. Like, I I do think they were at first. I think when this conversation started and we talked about Abraham's lineage and how Jesus' word really worked through that, I think that these were legitimately curious people, people asking legitimate questions. But they're not anymore. Because they say, okay, Jesus, well, we've heard some rumors about you. We've heard that you're a Samaritan and that you have a demon. I don't think these people actually believed that. I don't think they believed that for a second. I think if they actually believed Jesus was a Samaritan, they would have thrown him out of the temple long before this moment. But what they're doing is they're thinking of the lowest of low insults they can possibly think of. They are going as far down as you can go in the Jewish rung of thinking. And you know the worst two things that you can be as someone who is of the Jewish mindset? The worst is a Samaritan And maybe right under that is having a demon. Those are the worst of the worst. And so what they're saying to Jesus here is, okay, well, let me tell you some things that I think about you. I think that you're a filthy, unrighteous person who doesn't deserve God, and you're insane. These aren't legitimate people seeking the word of God anymore. They have fully rejected Jesus. But notice how Jesus responds. Jesus doesn't come right back at them with, well, here, let me tell you exactly what I think about you. Jesus doesn't come back at them. He doesn't even really defend himself. He doesn't cover the sort of accusation that he's a Samaritan at all. He doesn't even address it. He gets it back to the point at hand. And he says... Um, back in verse 49, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And then skipping down to verse 40, uh, 51, he says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see 
death. Jesus gets back to the point at hand. He looks past the insults. He looks past what they're trying to imply. And he says, no, here's what the point is. I don't think you're getting it. I am a child of God, and I'm a child of God, and here's how you can know it, because I understand his truth, I believe it, and I do the works that God does. And when people believe my truth and follow what I tell them to do, they will never see death. And again... Jesus is looking towards the eternal perspective, just like he was with who you're a child of. Jesus isn't saying that you're never going to get sick. Jesus isn't saying, this isn't some sort of health and wealth gospel. But Jesus is saying, you will never experience the final death if you believe in me. And those that are there, they look directly past him. They say, oh, so you're saying that if I just believe you, I'm never going to die. Everybody dies, Jesus. That's, that's crazy. We know you have a demon now. We know you're insane now because you're telling us that we can somehow cheat death. Abraham didn't cheat death. The prophets didn't cheat death. And now you think that you're going to be able to avoid death. What do you think that you have that they didn't? And Jesus, again, looks past their question. He talks about how he's not seeking glory. How Jesus' point in having these conversations isn't to establish himself as greater than Abraham or greater than the prophets. That happens just because of who Jesus is, but that's not his purpose. Jesus says, my purpose is to serve God and keep his word. And then he says that Abraham looked forward to seeing Jesus. And that's where this completely falls apart for them. Because... Jesus, again, he's not, you know, however many hundreds of years old you would need to be able to experience a relationship with Abraham on earth. That's, again, not what Jesus is talking about directly. But I don't know if they choose not to hear him or they really don't understand him. I don't know which it is. But by this point, it's completely gone. And they say, okay, well, we got you there, Jesus, because you say that Abraham saw you. And yet you're not even 50. And that's when Jesus says one of the most powerful statements in all of Scripture. Before Abraham was, I am. Don't skip past that. Jesus is telling you exactly who he is here. Over and over again, they ask him this question in this passage. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you exactly who I am. I am. You'll read sometimes that there's, there are some people that don't believe in the scripture that like to say that if you really read through the Gospels, Jesus never claimed that he was God ever. He claimed he was the son of God, sure, but Jesus never claimed he was God. 
This is a very, very explicit way of showing exactly who he is. This is the covenant name of God that God gave to Moses. He says, I am who I am. Or as the song that we sang today, we are glorifying the great I am. Jesus makes no doubt here. He says, look, you want to know the proof of who I am? I'm God. And that's why my truth matters. And you should, you, should, you should believe that because I'm doing the works that God does. And yet you reject it. And Jesus said earlier in the first argument he had with them that you, uh, you have murder in your hearts. You seek to kill me. And it seems kind of crazy that Jesus says that in uh, verse, uh, somewhere in the first section, I think verse 42. Three or something like that. Um, Jesus, Jesus says, you seek to kill me. And that seems crazy. These guys aren't trying to kill you, Jesus. They're, they say they believe in you. But here, when Jesus reveals who he really is, their immediate reaction is, we got to kill this guy. Jesus says, you either believe in my truth or you have hate and murder, and violence, and lies in your heart. And when Jesus reveals his truth, I am God, I was sent from God to do the works of God, they reject him, and they show that they have murder and lies in their heart. And so the result of this true discipleship is that When you have this belief, when you have this obedient faith, when you do the works of Abraham, Jesus says, I will grant you eternal life. You are never going to see death. But on the other side, when you reject God's truth for a lie, when you don't believe that Jesus is who he said he is, the result is lies and murder and all kinds of bad things. It's about as black and white as you can get. True discipleship leads to life. False discipleship leads to death. The question is, where are we? And so that's the story of John 8. I want to take just a few moments to talk about where we fit into in this story. Where we fit into in this sort of uh, debate between true discipleship and false discipleship. I think it's really interesting that Jesus brings up uh, Abraham as often as he does. It comes up over and over in the in this uh, section. I know that the uh, uh, those who say that they believe they brought up Abraham first, but Jesus really takes that evidence of Abraham and runs with it. He talks about the faith of Abraham, the works that he did. This is your example. You want to be children of Abraham, here's how you do it. And that example comes up over and over again throughout the New Testament. The example of Abraham. Paul particularly uses that a lot. And it's not coincidental because I think that Abraham is the perfect example to show these true disciples or these false disciples. Because what's the problem with these disciples? They're completely comfortable with their relationship with God how it is. 
They like that they are children of Abraham. They like that they are sons of God, as they say. They like that they have that close relationship given to them physically through God, through Abraham. And they're content in that being their relationship with God. They're content in holding on to what was behind them. And Jesus points to Abraham as the foundation both of the people and really of this example of faith. Abraham left everything. Abraham left most of his family. He would have left all of his friends. He would have left whatever work he had behind. He left his hometown. He left everything that you could possibly think of. Picked up and left with just him and a few people that he was closely related to. And that was it. Abraham was willing to do that. And the question that Jesus gives is, why aren't you willing to give things up in the same way Abraham was? And that's what Paul picks up on in uh, Romans 4, if you want to turn there. Romans 4, verses 13 uh, through 22. This comes in a section where Paul is talking about the faith of Abraham. He's talking about the kind of faith that Abraham showed. And this is what he says, picking up in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law. It didn't come through that physical lineage. It didn't come through any of that, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inheritance of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should someday become the father of many nations. As he has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. I'm going to keep reading. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespass and raised for our justification. You see the way Paul weaves this together? Paul's talking about our faith and Abraham's faith at the same time. And he says, look to Abraham. It's really easy to just say, well, Abraham was given the promise from God that he would have children. And so that is the covenant people, just the children of God. Paul says, if you think that, you've missed the point. 
the covenant that God made with Abraham is there is going to be a people like you. And they will be a great nation. They will be heirs of the world. And Paul says the people like Abraham are those who have faith like Abraham. And so the question is, do you have faith like Abraham did? Do you have a faith that is willing to drop everything for God? So we have to be willing to follow God, whatever the cost. If that means giving up your job, if that means giving up your hometown, if that means giving up whatever it is, you need to be willing to drop everything for the sake of following God. What are we really willing to give up for God? God gave up the life of his only son for us in a show of amazing grace and mercy and love. What are we willing to give up for him? I don't know what you're going to be called to give up. Abraham was called to give up everything. Paul was called to give up just about everything. Jesus gave up everything for us. I don't know what you're going to be called to give up. But are you willing to do that? Because the false disciples in John 8, they weren't willing to give up their comfort in the physical lineage of God. They weren't willing to give up their understanding of the word. And because of that, Jesus says they're children of Satan. Jesus says true disciples believe in my word and they're willing to do whatever they have to do to follow it. Are we willing to do whatever we have to do? Because the life of a Christian isn't promised to be easy. In fact, most of the time, it's promised the other way. There are going to be hard times. There are going to be hard decisions you don't want to have to make. There are going to be things you have to cut off that you would really not want to cut off. That is the life of a Christian. It is hard. And I'm not going to tell you for a second it's not. Anyone who tells you the life of a Christian is always easy is lying to you. But I can tell you it is 100% worth it. Because Jesus says, you know, Abraham, he had to give up a lot. But through his faith, he was set free. Through his faith, he was given eternal life. And so are those like him. I don't know what you have to give up. But I can guarantee you that if you're willing to give up everything for God, he will give you more than everything. God will give you blessings in this life and he will give you even more in the life to come. Eternal life, a relationship with him that never goes away. Whatever you have to give up is worth it. He will give you the strength and the boldness to do it if you rely on him. I promise you. And so the question is, what are we going to do with that? As for the invitation, I'll say this. It is true that the life of a Christian is not necessarily an easy path, but God gives us everything that we need to do it. God has given his son. God has given us his power. God will give us grace and mercy. And all he asks is that you give yourself to him. God has given everything so that you can give yourself.
Are you willing to do that? You can get started on this great, amazing path of true discipleship, believing in him, willing to follow him. And if you believe and you are ready to follow him, you can, be, you can repent and be baptized now. And you can start to experience the blessings of a life lived with God. You can start looking forward to the hope of eternal life. You can start looking towards the rewards of true discipleship. Maybe you're already on that path. You have already made that commitment to God. You've already repented and been baptized. Are you living a life that pleases him? Are you bearing the fruit of a child of Abraham? Or do you have things that are in between you and God? I ask that if there's anything that's in your way, let's take care of it. If you need help, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. And we'd love to pray for you. Join to the power of Jesus, the great I am. If you need anything that we can help with, you can come to the front as we stand and as we sing.